0: Thank you so much for joining me on today's LinkedIn live session on this sunny Friday morning. What a session we have lined up today. We are talking about team building and employee engagement. And I'm so pleased to be joined today by Rupa Datta. Rupa, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Alistair. I'm looking forward to our chat on this Friday morning.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And to all of our guests joining us on LinkedIn today, you can participate using the reaction tools and of course posting any questions in the comments section of the live event and we'll be getting to those throughout. But Rupert, maybe we should start with a quick introduction from yourself about who you are and what you do.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Alistair. So my name is Rupert Datta. I am founder of a business called Portfolio People that essentially promotes the concept of portfolio careers as I believe that is the future of work. Um, I'm also serving as Programme Quality Director for Toastmasters International in the UK um, and that's how I know Alistair. So that's part of my portfolio and there's quite a bit of other things going on as well.
0: Wonderful, thank you. And I think Yeah, your mindset of portfolio people, it's very similar um, or alike to something else I'm seeing popular on LinkedIn at the moment as well, which is personal brand about being all the different things that represent you, not just an employee of a company. So I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with today. So thank you again. And of course, you've probably seen we are facing the great resignation, as it's being coined by media companies, et cetera, et cetera. And I took this stat from the Guardian's website a couple of weeks ago that almost one in four UK workers are planning an up-and-coming job change, which is staggering Uh, and, of course, probably akin to the fact of everything we've been through with COVID, et cetera, et cetera, and things opening up again. And I read even further on, I think it was Business Insider, that I think two of those four are, you know, under 30 or something on those lines, so it's is it affecting a very specific demographic? But with your wealth of experience, like what first comes to your mind as to why someone might think about resigning or changing jobs?
1: I think you've already alluded to it, Alistair, that we've gone through something that we've never gone through before uh, as a generation or as a population worldwide, um, and we've had the last two years to really reflect on what we want to do, where work fits into the rest of life. Um, some people may have reverted to what they were doing before, but others have really taken a step back and thought, well, yeah, what do I want to do? And, and I think that's actually possibly the, the biggest player.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, especially if perhaps someone was on furlough, that probably gave them a chance to to reflect and think about it. And also maybe if they thought that they weren't going back to that industry, then they might've chosen to change right then and there. So, uh, and I think that, um, especially at the moment, especially when we're talking about personal brand, um, and as you say, portfolio people, do you think that at the moment there's kind of like a pressure to be your own boss? Because so many people have started up their own companies through the pandemic and things like that. And there's almost maybe like a shame. If you aren't a business owner, do you agree? Have you seen some of that?
1: That's interesting. I think every generation probably goes through that phase. Right? And and we, we all touch on that in every decade. So I'm sure that that, that was something that I felt in my 20s. Uh, it wasn't until my 30s that I left permanent employment and went off and did my own thing. Um, but there's, there's something to be said about the difference between self-employment and actually starting a business that's going to employ people in the future um and there's a great book called the e-myth that says well actually if you're going to be your own boss that doesn't mean that you can do it better for one of a better phrase because actually what you do as a skill or a trade isn't the same as being a business owner so mm. yeah it's certainly worth worth reading after something i've read recently but i've heard about it for a number of years That
0: mm, that's sound advice because actually i wait as soon as you start a business i think you get further and further away from whatever that business is doing because you have to be you know the accountant the hr person you have to fill every single role so yeah i think that is is worth considering i guess it almost just feels to me like it is the ultimate step you know you go through um your junior roles middle management higher management and then it's like either you you stay at that or the next thing is to you know jump from that and, and start your own company but Maybe that's just my perception and um, my sort of pressure that I'm putting on myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good perception as well. And uh, I'd reference somebody else here, and that would be like Robert Kiyosaki uh, when he talks about the wealth matrix. So it is a journey I think people go through. Um, but where I'd say portfolio careers come in, into play is if you look at your portfolio over life, it's OK for people to go into employment, then dip out and do what they wanted to, to do maybe start their own business, it's okay to fail, or it's okay to sell that off and and then go back into employment. Um, Yeah, I suppose you'd call it the squiggly career as well, right?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I I think that's such a nice attitude to have as well, because I, I I get so caught up in one thing defining me and uh, other people must suffer with this as well of like you know focusing on one thing but being built up of multiple different positions and different things that you do you know as for example you we're both in toastmasters we both have the career and different sort of businesses and brands underneath us and being composed of all those things is not a bad thing. Absolutely. What about your thoughts on lack of development then um, in terms of being a reason to, to resign from a company? Any thoughts on on that side of things?
1: One of my favorite subjects at the moment, actually. Um, so I think gone are the days, in, in my view, where it's fully the employer's or the company's responsibility to invest in development. And I think if one is passionate about personal and professional development, you'll seek it out yourself. Um, but there's also something to be said about, of course, the employer or the company giving the individual that environment to to grow, whether that is through stretch projects, um, you know, sabbaticals, or doing other things. So, yeah, of course, even within Toastmasters, we have uh, Toastmasters within lots of companies um, as as a program for additional development. But I, I personally do think it starts with the individual.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. It's an interesting. Debate, And I, I'm along the same lines. I think that the employer has to provide opportunities to develop, development, but then there's uh, a requirement for the individual to show sort of interest and um, almost kind of putting themselves forward in, in that regard. I don't know if it's quite 50-50. I'm, uh, there's definitely the jury's out on that one for me. But it, for me as a line manager, I always sort of try and provide natural um opportunities for development, trying different things, opportunities and things like that. But if someone kind of responds of, you know, oh, no, I'm not really interested in that. But then they sort of say in their feedback, or oh, you know, actually, I'd really like some more development opportunities. It's like, well, you kind of got to, you know, um, it's a bit of both parties getting involved. You tell me what you need, but I'll also try and get there for you. So maybe it's like 49, 51, something like that percentage split. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: So there's kind of key uh, three key things that we see that kind of overlap with this topic in terms of employee engagement and um, sort of three key factors. And we've got team building up here, engagement and retention. And all of those things are intrinsically linked and, and contribute to each other. I want to talk about team building first, because I know you've just been through one of the uh, what we're calling prescribed models, which is um, Belbin or DISC, for example, which I think you just went through. Can you tell us about your experience of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I've done Belbin in the past before and DISC, I think I did a year ago, I was put through that. Um, my my personal opinion is that all of these models serve a purpose, but more to do with a starting point for a discussion. I don't think any of them necessarily mean that you're definitely a, a red or um, Whatever your color type is, depending on the model, um, but it is a starting point and maybe even an icebreaker for a conversation within a team that you can use as a reference point and anchor to go back to more than anything else.
0: Hmm. I think that's a good attitude in terms of, as you say, a conversation opening it is difficult because it is, it's sort of almost, and this is, you know, very prevalent in society, wanting to like put a label on on people, whereas you can only have so many labels and, you know, there's millions of people in the world and not everyone will fit under those categories. But it's kind of, I guess, categories that somewhat serve the masses. I, I don't think I've ever been through the DISC profile. I've done the, what kind of learner you are. Was it like kinesthetic, visual and those mm-hmm. And I also had one where I did a personality quiz and I came out as gold or something like that. And there was different, which sounds amazing, but I think it means that I'm very um, anally organized. So, you know, maybe not, maybe not super flattering, but I think what we're saying here is maybe taking an individualized approach is, is better to build teams and to understand, you know, great, use these prescribed models to start conversations, but then still adapt to the individual and don't you know, shoehorn people into those kind of situations. For example, if if you come out as a kinesthetic learner, you can't then shut down all of your colleagues and say, no, nope, you can't present information to me visually, everybody has to adapt to me. That That's not gonna work for a business situation, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: And I think especially in this day and age, Businesses need to be flexible um in their approaches to, to everything, really, and to employees. And I think having a range of different employees, that, or you know, a range of colours—red, blue, or whatever disc includes—always builds uh, a more sort of diverse and and powerful team. I think. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I'm I'm 100 behind the individualised approach, but I think in certain structures, we also need to remember that when a team gets above a certain size or a company is above a certain size then structures are, are in place that probably take you back to a prescribed model sort of situation but yeah where possible you know the, the, the high performing team is quite small um, mm. and then you might have different teams that overlap each other that make a difference as well.
0: Mm, yeah, no, definitely, and that is a fair point because all of my experience comes from what I would call agencies, which is yeah, you know, obviously events agencies, but you know the small kind of less than fifty employees kind of uh, model. So I I possibly can't comment on on corporate, and I I get uh, yeah, it probably would be very difficult to ho- uphold an individualized approach there. But I still think that you know assigning line managers and mentors and things like that is a as a must, um, and that's something that I was talking to a colleague the other day. Actually, I think the the part of the Job that I enjoy the most is being someone's line manager and being their mentor, and almost like being a source of inspiration and development for them. It's it's probably why I joined Toastmasters, so we can relate on that level, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and and it probably goes back to development. If you're passionate about it, you'll want that for other people as well, right?
0: Absolutely, totally fair. Okay, well, moving on to engagement then. So, uh, what does engagement mean to you? This word gets thrown around so much. What what's at the core of it for you, Rupert? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think you spot on Alistair. It's it's become a buzzword, but what does it actually mean? And I think we can try and do all sorts of things to almost serve as a tool to engage people. But the reality is, it probably does go back to your individualised approach point and say, well, what is everybody's why? And you know an example I can give is I hosted an event on Tuesday evening uh, and one of the attendees there is someone I've been in touch with for the last couple of years but they haven't been in the environment that we're we're both normally from for those two years obviously pandemic and other priorities Um, and I got a message the other day saying well thank you for that evening it's inspired me to go back and do what I need to do and just giving people the opportunity to reconnect with their why, even if that why has changed over time is really important. So yeah, I think it goes back to personal ownership and the individualized approach, like you say.
0: Hmm. no, I love that. Thanks for sharing, because again, everyone is, I always say everyone's experiencing their own version of reality. Um, And so, you know, their reason for working could be very different. And we were talking about this sort of in our, our rehearsals and discussions before this that, we have to accept as as leaders and as sometimes as business owners as well, that some people's why is just to, to get money and, and pay the bills. And that's totally OK, because that is the core purpose of a job, really, isn't it? So if they don't want development and they just want to stay in that role and earn money and pay their bills and go home at, you know, a reasonable time um, on a Friday, then that's totally OK. And you have to be accepting within that. you're you're right engagement gets thrown around so much and I guess I always think of it from an event perspective but engagement to me means participation um actually actively participating and so putting that in a business terms it would be you know participating for the development of the business for moving it forward and I think we've obviously got some things up here like goals and plans shared mission is a really important one for me because it's it's um inspiring to be working towards one mission as a group. So I think communicating your company goals and your company mission can be inspiring to your employees, so that they can uphold that in everything they do daily.
1: Yeah, and and maybe if we draw that down a little bit further, it's like, well, how does the individual's goals align to the company goals? Or how does their their function or their role within the organisation align to the company's roles? And and maybe getting better at explaining that and and regular updates on that on that score. Um, and it's the same with plans. I think sometimes plans are seen as a paper pushing exercise, whereas it needn't be and it needn't be time consuming. It's like, well, we all need some sort of plan to know where we're going. Um, whether that's a, a half an hour conversation every now and again, or a written document that's reviewed. Um, yeah, it, it all fit feeds into the bigger picture.
0: Mm, definitely. And I yeah, no, I agree. It's nice to see when individual goals line up with company goals as well and for my team I'm always uh, not chasing them but encouraging them to to write down some goals we have like a smart goal sheet at SWM that everyone's encouraged to put some things down for and I always try and say like think outside of the box rather than you know thinking within your employer employee role um think about things that you could do as an add-on to the company that wouldn't that are more outside of that role so that it's additional kind of skills that maybe you wouldn't pick up unless you're you're pushing yourself but you know of course is optional but you know me I'm an inspired kind of person so I'd like to encourage.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and let's talk about retention then so I I've put up there earn or learn because I don't know if it's mine. Uh, LinkedIn newsfeed, but I keep seeing this all over that it's like a a meme that went viral or a, a tweet that went viral. And it says in every job role you do, you should either earn or learn or do both ideally. So I guess earning is of course, of course, earning money. So you should be on decent money for what you're doing, or you could be on lower income and be learning loads, or you could be doing both, which I guess is a really great mindset. But what are your thoughts on that Rupa?
1: I love this term, and and I think I probably actually first heard it from you. Although I'm familiar with it in in yeah different other guises, shall we say? But absolutely, like why why do we take a job role or a contract or a client even? Why why do we take it? And normally, first and foremost, is to generate revenue or earn money. Um, but there's other facets that come with it. And if that's not necessarily happening, I suppose it's why some of us might take a course or volunteer because you might be learning other skills um and that's for me where a portfolio career comes in that you could be learning independently of earning as you said some people just want to go to work to to earn money and and just see it as, as yeah just like that um but i yeah i love this phrase and i think if we can find roles that equal both at the same time uh that's that's a sweet spot
0: Definitely. And I think it's a good mindset to spread, especially after, you know, the last few years that we've had. And I want to pick up on your your volunteering point there, because I think this is something that's so underrated. I definitely say that when I was going through school and college and things like that, there used to be such an emphasis on what they called enrichment activities, which was just that, I guess, accepting things that were outside of school or, you know, activities that were outside of school hours or external enrichment could have been volunteering and things like that I swear I don't hear anything about it anymore and maybe that's because I'm not within these institutions but I would. I had an interview about sort of being an event professional recently on a careers kind of podcast. And, and my one bit of advice to people that wanted experience was there are so many people out there and companies out there that need uh, volunteers to help with things like events and stuff like that. And it just looks so great on your CV. Like I think standing out for giving some, sk- you know, giving time, which is of huge value to charities and you get to learn skills looks just so great on your CV because you've gone out of your way.
1: Absolutely. And it's that's I, still true even now, right?
0: Mm, yeah. But I guess that, yeah. So this is why I like the earn or learn phrase so much because it's like you don't have to have both. So people would be like, oh, well, I'm not volunteering because I don't get paid kind of thing. Well, it's like, well, actually, it does pay you back in kind with what you've learned and that you might get that future job. Would you agree?
1: 100% agree. 100% agree. And uh, that's why, yeah, m- you know, all of us do things concurrently. Sometimes you don't even know that you're learning what you're learning until after the fact. And it's that tacit knowledge that's quite powerful. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to maybe take a slightly off track a, a little bit here, um, Alistair, because I think retention and the focus on retention is also a, a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Mm. So what is wrong with say someone le- joining an organization or taking a contract, which arguably should be a defined period of time and at the end of it leaving as long as it's leaving it amicably like as long as both parties purposes have been served for a a period of time what's wrong with that
0: Mm, nothing i would say i guess it's um i guess it comes yeah you're right retention has a kind of negative perspective of oh, we are losing all these employees but it might just be that you know their time has come to move on and and i always think that you know fresh faces in a company brings in new skills Anyway, so having to re-recruit for a role is not necessarily the end of the world, um, as long as you say, as it, as it as long as it is amicable, for sure. But what about the point we have here then of employee value? What do you think is the best way to make employees feel valued?
1: I would actually probably connect it to the engagement piece, right? Are we constantly having that that conversation about their why, our why and alignment? Um, there's there's something that's so powerful in that saying thank you when necessary that the the little token of appreciation every now and again when people have done a good job that for the most part costs nothing um and again sometimes that common compensation or some flashy gifts or flashy awards are, are more valued than yeah the, the weekly or monthly thank you for doing this you know or that mile that project milestone being hit um yeah different love languages but that's his own topic right
0: yeah <laughs> no definitely and um I also think that like so doing like little gifts or something like that i I find gifting things fun um but also it's like an opportunity to also encourage a bit of growth so like um I recently bought a couple of gifts for the people that I mentor in the company and you know it was like not a nice planner of goals um A good book, which is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which I thought would be a benefit to them. You know, it's like even if they don't fully use them or even if it provides just a bit of inspiration, it's a thanks. But it's also for them as well. Um, And, you know, it's down to that individualised approach. You know, I picked a book per person based on what I know they're working on and what their goals are. So um, hopefully... Ah, oh, thanks. Hope it's a nice piece. It's a very toastmastery thing to do, right? I used to get books from Helen, Helena when um, I signed up to stuff. <laughs> Not bribery. <laughs> wow.
1: I'm sure she's watching this. Let's see what she says. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. And I think that, you know, all of these things come together to build, uh, you know, the team building, the engagement, the retention come together to build, you know, a solid team. But I think, as you say, like, ultimately, if people do need to move on and change, then it would be have a negative impact to try and hold on to them for the wrong reasons, though. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't actually have current stats on this, but um, back in my day, when I was in the recruit recruitment, um, there was there was some stats around where um, if someone was wanting to leave and possibly got to the point where they handed in their resignation and then got a counter offer to stay, like. Mm. You know, normally is to do with money or certainly back then it was to do with money even if they did then stay they would probably still leave within six to 18 months afterwards because there was probably something that triggered the leap of the move in the first place
0: mm, that is interesting i w- would be interested to know what the statistics on that at the moment are but yeah, I think that is, you know, if someone's choosing to leave, I, I guess it depends if it is back to the the reason of why they work, of, of their why. If it is for money, then maybe they would stay and, and still do that kind of job. But as you say, something else has obviously been the trigger for them to want to move on and, and maybe just... Fixing it. Um, And I wonder if the companies found value in those six to 18 months of them being there, or if it was more difficult and what the reason behind it was. Of course, we'll we'll never know. But that's an interesting statistic to share. So it would probably be in employers' benefit to just, you know, let go a little bit and maybe recruit someone new because they'll have to do it anyway, right? That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, don't let them get to that point in the first place, right? If retention is that that, uh, much of a, a focus.
0: Mm, yeah definitely well i think that we can round off this session or we wanted to round off this session if this has hit a mark with anyone we've got these couple of questions to sort of go away and reflect on and ask yourself especially probably attuned to any leaders anyone that leads it or manages a team that's listening um think about showing up as the leader and ditch the blueprint, which is, you know, basically in summary of what we've been saying about the individualized approach. Don't shoehorn people into all these different models and put too much emphasis on them. And I like your advice there, Rupert, about using them as a conversation starter uh, to open up discussion rather than sort of to categorize people. And then number two, what were you like when you were in their shoes, Um, which I think is a really, really good reflection point of looking back and saying, you know, coming from where you've come from, like I personally have worked through most of the roles in the events industry. So it's really useful for me to look back into when I was in that role that my team members are now and think, what would I need from my line manager right now in order to be able to better my job um, and development and and goals, etc. Anything you want to add here, Rupert?
1: No, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head and I just yet invite everybody that is watching or might be watching this back to to really reflect and uh, feel free to reach out to either Alistair or
0: I. Absolutely. And um, if anyone's enjoyed this content, then Rupert welcomes anyone to connect to uh, her on LinkedIn. She's got loads of content on there in her featured section. And if you like the sound of my voice, you can listen to the podcast that I have running, which is Picking It Perfection, available on all channels. Oh, we've just got a lovely um, comment in the chat that I will just put up there. I love the idea of personal personalized books for team members. So thank you for that comment. That's that's pleased to hear that that's inspired you. And do tune in next time. So we have another session coming up next month on the 25th of March at 9.30 a.m. GMT. I'm really excited to welcome Murine to that session to talk about personal and professional resilience. He has, as we were saying, the past two years, he's been through it. So he's got some really good tips on personal and professional resilience. So that just leaves me to say thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. And thanks so much, Rupa, for joining. I think you've provided some great insight for everyone. I've really learned a lot and I hope the audience have too.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's great fun talking to you.
0: Thank you so much for listening, following Perfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests, I would love to hear from you. Visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate. You can also follow me on my socials, Instagram, LinkedIn and even contact me via email. Links for all of this are in the show notes. See you next time.